With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, Patrick Connor here and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. I mean, every episode's special, but this one's extra special. Uh, it's kind of brought about un- under unfortunate circumstances, I suppose, after the unfortunate death of Antonio Inoki, who was a Japanese pro wrestling star. So we're talking history, of course. We're talking boxing and pro wrestling history a little bit, but that means I'm here with my dude, Eris Pina, CompuBox operator, and we've also welcomed back Box Rec Gray. What's up, Gray Johnson? How are you doing, man? It's a pleasure. That's right. I guess it's my second time now. So thanks for having me back, guys. It's uh, a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And Eris, dude, I know this is like your wheelhouse too, man. Like you guys are more, you guys just are more hooked into the wrestling history and stuff than I am. I'll try to keep up, but this is definitely your guys' game here. Yeah, man. You you know how I always drop like uh, wrestling references on the show throughout, if it makes sense. But, um, yeah, Noki is one of those guys that kind of crossed over with everything, so that's why I was um, definitely good enough to, uh, to mention for the podcast. Plus, he's a part of the one of the most infamous or famous, whatever how you want to look at it, moments in um, combat sports history with what he did with Muhammad Ali. So, yeah, there's lots to discuss. Totally. Quite an legacy to go over. Yeah, and I mean, uh, obviously, there was more to Antonio Inoki than just the Muhammad Ali fight, which is what we're going to be talking about today. You know, his his legacy and his influence on combat sports, not just boxing, not just pro wrestling, but also mixed martial arts without question. So, I mean, there's a lot of history there to unpack. We're definitely not going bullet point by bullet point just to have fun. Just a couple of nerds, you know, going over this shit for the most part. But look, dude, you know, Antonio Inoki, obviously, the first thing we think about, the first thing almost anybody, especially in boxing, thinks about is that Muhammad Ali fight in 1976. Like you said, Eris, it's famous and infamous. And there's a lot of, like, mythology surrounding it, a lot of rumor, stuff like that. I mean, but even going into that fight in 1976, it's like it's like the twilight of Ali's career already. And, uh, you know coming into this fight a lot of people especially from the united states did not know antonio inoki who who was this guy true so yeah by the mid-70s like you said ali had just gotten over with the thriller in manila and people were basically begging him to retire because he should have like he was already showing signs of just being worn the fuck out and instead of that he decided to go in there with ernie shavers and a bunch of other host of just monsters but that's And and he's doing a world tour Yes. In that point, he's fighting in Puerto Rico. He's fighting in Germany. So not surprising that he's calling out a Japanese wrestler as well, because he's just taking paydays or in these countries that are paying him a lot of money to fly over there. And then the guy like Anoki at that point, um, he came up at the same time. So he came up under a guy that a little history context under um, a legendary Japanese figure still revered to this day named Ricky uh, Rikid. Uh, can't pronounce his name right now. 
Ricky Dozen. Ricky Dozen, exactly. Who is basically the godfather of Japanese wrestling. And, you know, he was the one all the American evil foreigners would go over there, guys like Lufez, whoever, and they would lose to him. You know what I mean? He'd be the one that knocked him down. And the guy was just like a god. And the two wrestlers that were his protégés that ended up becoming subsequently the biggest names in Japanese wrestling themselves was Antonio Inoki and Giant Baba. And by the time those two made their American excursions, Baba, who was bigger than Inoki, just he was like the Andre the Giant type mold of giant of himself. Um, a very he large man. Featured, he was being featured like at MSG and like, you know, having matches with Bob Backlund and doing all this stuff and kind of being prominent. Anoki, on the other hand, as when he was making his American debut, he was being sent to like minor territories and farm systems and whatever and just kind of being as, a, as an afterthought. So by the time the mid-70s rolls around, like Gray just said, Anoki's not really well known at this point. He's still kind of a mystery to American audiences. And you're wondering, you know, what, what, is, what is Ali getting himself into? Ali has always shown a tendency, obviously, from his antics outside the ring. And he actually talked about it. He loved pro wrestling. So, you know, it wasn't like the fact that he was getting involved in it so much, which was like not odd. It was the fact that he was getting involved in it with a guy that was a total non-entity and someone that was mysterious to American audiences. Unless you were like a hardcore fan and kind of recognized them, you know, from the discursion there, you really read the magazines. You know what I mean? So it was, yeah, this, I mean, it kind of summed up the whole business of boxing in the mid 70s anyway. So there you go. Everything was just weird. <laughs> yeah. Supposedly, um, Ali had gone. So supposedly, dang, of course, I changed the, the page, but he had met up with someone prior to uh choosing anoki i guess and he had made the uh, the remark that don't you guys have any orientals that i could beat or anything like that don't you have any orientals that can challenge me i mean his words not mine obviously but that 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 remark had gotten out to like japanese press and they you know that had somehow gotten back to antonio anoki of course i changed the page so i don't see where it was but regardless Anyway, yeah, that's supposedly how that started or how Enoki got involved was that Muhammad Ali had made some flippant remark to some uh, Japanese sports person that he had met up with. Yeah, and then, of course, one thing leads to another and Ali gets like a, an offer to, <laughs> to, to fight Antonio Enoki for like $6 million. Now, wrestling's in this weird kind of spot in the 70s because yeah as many people know it's i mean this it's several decades removed from being legitimate like we're talking i don't know when it started being more uh pre uh they they scripted or they went through it but probably like the 20s and the 30s you'd see guys shifting away from wrestling being like you know what you're seeing is are two dudes rolling around like for an hour and a half like legit to it being more you know entertainment but at the same time it's still being presented as legitimate i mean we're you know i think eris and i probably you know with the birth of the internet was really the, the end of what they call kayfabe uh which is the word they use this like you know trying to you know keep keep the secret uh the work you would say away from the fan base uh wrestling fans and present it as a real thing and don't you know pull the curtain but i mean it wouldn't be for another 20 years really the, that the curtain was completely exposed um so yeah it's at this point where they're still trying to show wrestling as legitimate especially in japan so it's kind of in this weird space of like 
how is this fight going to work exactly? Because Inoki is used to doing these worked fights, and Ali's a le- you know a legitimate fighter, but at the same time, Inoki has this training and knows how to certainly protect himself in a ring. So right off the right right from the start, it's you know a, a styles clash and a creative clash as well. Yeah, there was the thing with New Japan Pro Wrestling as opposed to All Japan is that All Japan, um, which was run by Giant Baba, both of them kind of split early on um, and became competitors. Giant Baba's organization was more so leaned toward like how American wrestling was too. Like you can tell, yeah, it was interesting, but you know, it was still scripted or whatever. Anoki, like you said, Greg, he just he was more into like the whole strong style, which which it would become known as later on, where it was based on more like, yeah, Anoki wanted to present pro wrestling as its own combat sport and wanted to present pro wrestlers as the elite fighters out of any sport, whether it be karate, boxing, any other, you know, entity that there's out there. He wanted pro wrestlers to be that type of guy. Um, decades later, that would come back to kick him in the ass and completely fuck up his organization, but that's a whole other... That's, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Anokiism did end up sinking New Japan in the early 2000s, as Eris is uh, uh, pointing out, and then ended up Anoki uh, being completely removed, and then uh new japan going into a more entertainment type style and all japan now is the one that really still presents the sport as a little more serious i mean you know as serious as wrestling can be in the in the you know 2020s let's be honest but yeah, yeah it definitely like inoki was all about protecting his image uh, presenting himself as a legitimate fighter um like similar to uh, hulk hogan in the united states rarely losing his worked matches i mean this is a guy that would always be the one with his hand raised at the end essentially yeah he 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 was the biggest draw made a lot of money for the company made a lot of money for himself and and that's how he wanted himself presented as this as a, as a legitimate tough guy which i'm sure he was but um well, it was you have to you have to remember too this was a year removed from a famous video of anoki where uh, i sent it to you pat and it's been since he passed it's been put all over uh twitter and other stuff there was a guy by the name of the great Antonio. Um, so a year before 1975, a guy named Great Antonio, who was a strong man from France, I think, or somewhere. Um, not kinda, strong, not strong that night. He was very, he let himself Definitely go. not, yeah. But just when you see him, he looked like a fat, homeless, overweight dude, which essentially. But yeah, his, his whole shtick was that he'd like pull trucks and shit yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, and so, yeah. yeah. And, so and, in, like, and in wrestling, when you get, yeah. When you, when you get old in wrestling, that shtick still doesn't go away, which when it really should. Like he clearly couldn't, you know, he looked like like a blob, but you know, yeah. <laughs> and he didn't, and for whatever reason, in his mind, he thought he could fuck with Anoki. And like during that match, like Anoki's trying to work with him, as awkward as it was, and the dude's oh, it's completely so bad. just it's yeah, the guy's completely making a joke. He's laughing at him, he's pulling his gut out, doing the stuff, and then at the end, he starts getting really stupid. By like clearly hitting a dude like rabbit, forearming a Noki as hard as he can. Doosh, doosh. These are not pulled strikes at all. Yeah, they are and that's when a Noki snaps, painful. takes him down, and then stomps a mud hole in him. Literally, just like yeah. I mean, Noki palm strikes this fucker down to the canvas yeah. and just stomps a hole in him like legit kicks, legit oh, palm dude, strikes. Yeah. Well, it's this it's is what this is what Ali was essentially crazy. getting himself into the ring with. Yes. <laughs> Most, yeah, and they, and, and, a guy that could defend himself, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, and and also like what you guys are talking about with a kind of like a, the strong style or hard style wrestling uh, that Inoki used to show. I mean, for a lot of people, even I think for some wrestling fans, probably less so for wrestling fans, but combat sports fans who might not be aware might or whatever haven't seen Japanese pro wrestling and they see it and then like some of the punches look like pretty legit and you're like that's a that's a hard strike <laughs> holy shit you know whereas a, a lot of the time it's sold a lot more in American pro wrestling and in, in the major you know organizations and stuff like that more often than not like punches and things like that yeah. and so that can be kind of shocking I think for a lot of American fans but yeah, you know, um, I think Muhammad Ali, I, I mean, I don't really know what, what was in anybody's heart going into this, you know. I think that Antonio Inoki, he probably wanted to just show show up. Like, he wanted to even be like, fuck, what's up? You know, like, I'm going to, it was his big opportunity to, wh whatever he wanted to do, get 15 minutes, show show off Japanese pro wrestling as a superior art form or whatever the case may be, but Muhammad Ali, obviously, uh, at some point, whatever the initial agreement was, it sounded like it was supposed to be a fix, as Bob Arum said, or a work. Um, but Muhammad Ali didn't want it, and there was no way for them to have some meeting of the minds where, like, they could, you know, have an easy draw or something like that to where, you know, they could agree upon something. And you could tell in the first round where they're actually, like uh, – it's funny because I said this to Eris earlier in the very first round when Inoki starts trying to drop kick Ali, the first thing Ali does was start kicking him in the thighs. And I was like, Oh shit. I I didn't even remember him doing this. Like yeah, he should have stuck yeah. with that. If he'd stuck yeah. with that, he might've been in business, dude. So to, so to rewind Pat, the, uh, the story goes when they were trying to initially propose an ending to this fight was uh because it's in japan of course anoki's getting that motherfucking hand raised use my language but that hand's going up uh so the idea was that ali you know they do their fight ali would accidentally hit the referee and be distracted and anoki would then hit him with an insiguri which would be this like kick to the back of the head and knock ali out cold and then the referee would come to and award Anoki with the KO win, but keep, you know, Ali could save face because it was, you know, under dubious circumstances. So whoever it was, either Ali or maybe someone in his entourage, they were like, absolutely not. Is that going to happen? No, no way. So the legend goes that they nixed that. Ali comes to meet Anoki a couple days before the fight. And Ali had probably... I, I can kind of believe it that maybe it was someone in this camp was like, no, it's, we're not, you know, Ali's not losing. And then Ali like went to Anoki and went, so you want to like figure something out here? And then Anoki apparently was like, no, nah, this is a real fight now. Like, <laughs> like, like we're doing this for real now. Like, you know, he's like, Anoki's like sparring with dudes on the canvas. And, and I was like, all right, like we're, we're going into this like a uh, legit fight, I guess. So yeah, they couldn't, they just couldn't come to an agreement, like you said. And then all of a sudden here they are fighting 15 rounds. <laughs> Oh, dude yeah and whoever in um so i mean the book i was looking at too just uh i would normally not plug this writer or this book but it's uh, his life and times <laughs> muhammad ali by shmamish mauser and fucking I'm just... <laughs> a man who's made a living writing off of that subject like he's fucking written 800 yeah. 850 books in that Indeed. one book yeah, the yeah. only good thing about it is that there are some pretty key interviews in it about that. So, I mean, like, yeah. that's beyond that. I don't really care. But it, it <laughs> talks about this fight, uh, and it talks, and it gives some, you know, some insight into some of the shit 
and they don't even really say exactly why or whose idea it was to have it 15 rounds and three minute rounds because they're like what the who what what the fuck were you guys thinking and i mean you know uh however it actually came about dude obviously they i don't know i mean nobody wanted to really lose face i guess but <laughs> yeah fucking disaster it was there was also the the rule too right where yep. they said um the rule you, set yeah rule set. And that's why yeah yeah no i was gonna say like the rule set Eris was like a negotiation within itself because they saw ali you know grappling doing throws choking mm -hmm. guys and and ali's camp was like yeah he's not allowed to do any of that he can't grapple he cannot throw he can't do any of that wrestling shit that's not going to happen so basically, the rules were, and and they were like, and also this is well, this rule set will not be made public <laughs> before the fight. So essentially, all all Inoki was allowed to do was kick, uh, if you will. I guess he could punch Ali technically, but if he was to throw a kick, he had to do it while having one foot on the canvas. Hence, this guy crab walks for <laughs> fifteen straight rounds, just throwing kicks awkwardly at Ali. Like it, it's it's insane. Like it's pretty. I mean, if you want to seek yeah. this fight out, yeah. it's bad. Um, but yeah, it's it's Ali on the feet, Anoki on on the ground, just trying to kick Ali's legs out underneath him. It's it's something to watch. It's one of the rare ones where I can tell you you'd rather read about it than actually watch it. Absolutely. Like there's books and stuff about it. Read about it because the whole story is fascinating. Like we're saying, as opposed to you actually yeah. watching. It's a long <laughs> hour of your life. Not yeah. worth it. <laughs> if you want to watch anything regarding Ali wrestling wise there is a pretty funny clip um i guess he was promoting himself for the enoki match because it's around the same time where he shows up in wwwf and he confronts gorilla monsoon who i guess we'll bring up in a minute too because he he adds to the story in his own way but he confronts gorilla monsoon after a match starts talking his shit and at this point too ali is like playing the heel because he's a boxer coming into wrestler's territory and um I want to say that this took place probably in Pennsylvania, where they used to hold the house shows all the time. And um, so while he's there running his mouth, blah, 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 blah. And then funnily enough, he goes over, he starts throwing jabs on Monsoon, dancing around. And Monsoon, because he's a lot bigger, just picks Ali up like he's a little kid, puts him down and gives him an airplane spin while Ali's screaming and yelling and flailing himself. And then Monsoon drops him. Ali awesome. plays like he's... Like, he's all dizzy and falls out. He plays it really well. Gets all dizzy. Starts yelling and, curt, you know, pointing away. And Monsoon gets to the mic. Yeah, yeah, a little pipsqueak. That's what you do when a wrestler gets a boxer. <laughs> so seek yeah. that. Don't actually seek out the Inoki fight because that won't yeah. suck. I mean, the only thing that's really super notable about the Inoki fight is Ali does try and change tactics at one point, grabbing Inoki's uh, legs in, like, I think round 10. And you kind of are like, oh, like, is he going to try and, like, grapple with this? Like, like kind of push yeah. like fight him on the canvas but it doesn't really happen and really the only thing that's super notable is like um the fights at draw because they were i think i think the judges and the referee again i'm putting in quotes who knows but i'm sure they were terrified to actually pick a winner here um but uh anoki lands over 100 legitimate leg kicks on ali and uh the legend goes is that ali got a blood clot because of it or something like that but yeah. i want to ask you guys your thoughts I've seen photos of Ali after the fight where his legs are wrapped up, like all yeah. like, there's stuff on him. So I don't know if he has surgery, but yeah, that is the story. So and, I want to ask you said too that Ali, who wasn't moving as much in his second post career, we have to admit that. But I, I was going to say noticeably slower even after yes. that fight in terms of moving anything. 
that was going to be my question to you guys, is that you've probably seen Ali's later fights more recently than I have, but he goes four and three for the rest of his career, never scores another knockout. And do you guys think that that, that this, this work shoot bullshit that he does with Anoki with the leg injuries really affects Absolutely. the last four fights? Yeah. Not only did he not score another knockout, he not even he not he didn't even score another knockdown. Yeah, crazy. And that's yeah. Bernie Shavers. So, <laughs> so I mean, like that's that's saying quite a bit. Can't even um, knock down Ernie Shavers. Honestly, dude, like the first couple rounds of the Inoki fight, I feel are at least you know watchable enough because they're interesting. It starts getting really redundant, like super quick. But like I was saying earlier, or, like very early in the fight when Inoki starts trying to fight him from his back a couple times Ali starts like kicking the shit out of his thighs and I'm thinking like damn I, I don't really remember him doing this and watching going like if he had just stuck with this like he might have forced Inoki to get up or something I mean I don't know yeah. I mean in any in any scenario if Inoki like gets a hold of him for real dude it's gonna be a bad bad fucking night but yeah, even r immediately after the fight, they're zooming in on Ollie's thighs, and they're fucking red and purple and all marked up and swollen. I mean, they look legit fucked up. And uh, Ferdy Pacheco mm -hmm. is, he said, according to him, and I mean... <sighs> <laughs> Not a great primary source. <laughs> I honestly, I mean, honestly, it it's it's very and on top of that dude it's from this book which is very hagiographical hey, dude it's very like complimentary to ali so of course it's like it, i almost feel as though they're being exaggerated to make him look better like oh my god he's this fucking warrior who lived through this he may have but according to pacheco ali had this like series of engagements all across asia planned like he was supposed to go to fucking like malaysia and then he was supposed to go to somewhere else uh to like dedicate a mall in like philippines or something like that and so the, pacheco and other people according to pacheco were like champ don't go don't go champ you know you can't go you got blood clots you're gonna die you're whatever it is and then he's according to him ali's entourage had a bunch of people who were giving him poor advice that like pacheco said yeah with that kind of injury you got to elevate your legs and ice but these guys had him doing, they were rubbing him down and giving him massages on blood clots. Who does that? You know, this type of shit instead. So, I mean, I have no fucking clue. Obviously, he was he was injured, though, because you yeah. could see him immediately after that. You know, he fights uh, the Ken Norton, you know, the final Ken Norton fights and shit. And, and it's, it's not the same kind of fighter. He's not up on his toes. There's a lot more trying to sell shit, a lot more bullshit, a lot more like, you know, yelling and talking and screaming and like swatting type of shit at him you know like he's like barely even fighting half the time so yeah i think that yeah. it probably did damage his legs like significantly for sure man those were bad like anoki that's all he could do and if you get kicked like anoki's a strong guy right man and he knows how to kick even in the weird crab thing he was doing you get nailed in the thigh in the in the things for 15 rounds three minute rounds over and over and over and all you're doing is just running away, like, you know. All he's, like, up in the corner. He's like, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> Climbing up on the ropes, <laughs> That's, mean, yes, that it. is the most iconic moment uh, shot is, yes, Ali jumping up on the turnbuckles, okay. like, mouth open, like, 
what? Like, and then looking at Anoki. Uh, yeah, Anoki's sure... just leaning back there with his foot up, yeah. just trying to get, you know, nail him again. It's an awesome visual, but it, again, it's definitely like the best part of a. Yeah, for forty-five minutes, it's rough. It's fucking. And, it sucks too because, like, I would love to find either a shirt from that event. Like, I, I want to own a ticket from it because the tickets are absolutely sure. beautiful and like cool memorabilia, but just. Great poster, too. Yeah. All those Anoki, uh, we'll talk more, but uh, a lot of the Anoki versus Boxer posters are really, really cool. Um, They, Mm. they, yeah. Angelo Dundee, I know, was really against the whole fight, too. Wasn't he, like, vehemently saying this was stupid, and I don't know why he was the, you know. Absolutely hated it, yes. And was he even over there? I don't even, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know who's on these corner with him, really paying attention, but uh, it's a, yeah, not a not a not a shining moment in his career. But I wanted to. I want to. He was there, yeah. but not positive. Yeah, uh, what um what's kind of notable about that day is that there is another boxer yes. versus wrestler match that takes place that exact same day in a different day. part of the world. Uh, so so this was a simulcast. So they would go. So the main event, of course, is Ali Noki in Japan. But before that, during the day. The Worldwide Wrestling Federation had its showdown at Shea event, which was their annual, yeah, big card they do. Um, and, you know, they draw like this is again, testament to how much, how more important boxing and wrestling, being pro wrestling was back in the day that you could draw a crowd of 32,000. That's pretty, uh, that's, you know, that's all in a day's work, right? And nowadays, like most promoters would be drooling at that. Oh, yeah. If you got 30,000 anywhere, they'd be talking about that shit for fucking 18 months. So, so here it is, Andre the Giant. Uh, I'll let I'll let uh, I'll let Eris take this away here, but it's Andre the Giant taking on Ali opponent uh, Chuck Wepner here to cash in his fifteen minutes of fame. <laughs> yeah. So, like Ray just said, man, Ali. Ch- um, excuse me, uh, Ali and Noki was taking place, and so the dual simulcast, what the dual cast was going to be at Shea Stadium in the big in the big field, which they would hold. That was almost like their WrestleMania events. Like they had Madison Square yeah. Garden where they they you know they would do their monthly shows and that was always packed. Allentown, Pennsylvania, in that little shanty box is where they would hold the TV tapings. But yep. Stadium is where you would hold the Super Show. You would get like you know San Martino or Pedro Morales or whoever was champion, Bob Backlund and superstar Billy Graham. You know I'm giving you everybody from the '70s. They would, you know, the the big blow off to a feud would go on there, and the whole stadium would be packed. But this is big stuff, man. Now you get in boxing and wrestling. Like I said, um, the WWWF was working with um Anoki to a degree in New Japan at this point, so they had a working relationship. So probably they had a deal where they were able to show this and then make a dual card with it and promote it as such. Andre the Giant obviously and especially in the 70s was the biggest attraction to wrestling if not one of the biggest attractions in all of sports um you know he was just one of those guys that the way he was promoted was actually really genius because they didn't they didn't um Vince McMahon Sr. was the one who was like his main booker but they didn't allow him to stay in one place for a certain amount of time so like if you brought him into a town he wasn't going to be there for like six months so he got stale and you would see him every week He'd be there only for a spot two or three times. You get to see a person. This is pre-internet. So all you've done is write about him in magazines and seen this freak. Hey, now he's coming to my hometown. He's going to fight my local bad guy. He shows up, beats everybody up, wins a battle royal, moves on. You don't see him again for a year. So he's like, you know, a special attraction. You get that. Then you get a guy like Chuck Wepner who is just, you know, his guy speaks for himself, right? You know, in New Jersey, 
lovable lug who somehow is still around in the late 70s considering his career was going on in the 60s and he was getting his ass kicked by the likes by the likes of Sonny Liston back then so somehow in 1976 he's still relevant um he had fought in Ali at this point right he had fought Ali was uh also uh lost to Dwayne Bobick yeah who, and- uh, you know, another. Uh, I'm sure you guys, have, if you've done, haven't done one, uh, a show on him yet, I hope you do in the future. Um, but yeah, he's definitely on on the tail tail end of the career, yeah, uh, the twilight. And yeah, he goes in there against Andre Gi- the Giant, and I think wisely, no, this was a, a work fight. This wasn't real or anything. But from here's the interesting thing though is that from what I've read, I don't know if this is true or not, but I read on YouTube the other day that someone says that. Gorilla Monsoon's nephew, as people claim him to be, says that it went from what was supposed to be at work to end up being somewhat of a shoot at the end. <laughs> that's <laughs> honestly what it looks like. And that's what yeah, it, does. It, does, it does fall apart. Yeah, it does fall apart. And that they said be- that what happened was is that, you said that beforehand, Andre and Webner got together. They kind of talked it over, said they're going to make it fun. Webner lands a couple of punches. Andre chases him. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. They get together, finish it up. At some point during the match, Webner started getting a little cute and started laying, you know, started throwing some legit punches at Andre. Andre is such so much bigger than him. I mean, Webner was never known to be like a giant punching to begin with, so Andre probably had no effect except it was irritating him. And then, at one point, as they're grappling and Webner's getting annoyed himself because he feels like he felt that Andre was being a little too rough with him and that he didn't like it, Webner started trying to, you know, go legit. So he starts with the rabbit punching, the same thing we mentioned, Great Antonio doing to Antonio Inoki. You see Webner legitimately hard, like cupping down. And then that's when they said, that's when um, Monsoon's nephew claims that everything went to hell. And he says that Andre looks at Gorilla Monsoon, who was in the, um, who was ringside, and I'm going to bring him up in a second. He yells at him and goes, shoot! And that, you know, and that Andre voice. <laughs> shoot, brother, we're shooting! And he goes, shoot! And that's when he grabs Webner, like in a bear hug, and starts like mauling him around, like throwing him. Webner, you see, flailing away clearly because he's like, what the fuck is happening? And no one has ever done this to a guy this size. Andre hits him, I think, once once legitimately with like a body shot. And then like a fake headbutt, but enough, even a fake headbutt by Andre is going to knock the shit out of you. It's going to still fucking hurt, of course. Yeah. So Webner leads back. He's like, oh. Andre picks him up like a sack of garbage. <laughs> and at this point, Webner, who we mentioned, is the big boy. You know what I mean? He's like, he's flailing still. And Andre just dumps him over the top rope. Yeah, I, I was going to say, not a safety dump either. Like, like, And Webster drops. He's all, and he looks like a wet bag of garbage. He's all sweaty. He's wet. He just drops, boom, boom, and falls out. And now to Andre's credit, this is probably the planned finish. So like a true pro goes to the count out. They, you know, Andre wins, of course, and Wepner doesn't, you know, gets his little count out. So it's not a, a, a total end of the world. So they got to the end of the, they got to the end, but it probably was not the road taken. That, that was it, yeah, exactly. One of the best parts is at the very end of it, you see Al Braverman, who is Wepner's manager and one of Don King's main lackeys and a couple of other oh, They come running in. Play like like years later, like Floyd Mayweather, like um, remember when Leonard Ellaby and company were yelling at yes. Big you can't do this. Yes. But this time, I think it was actually real. Braverman then comes screaming and cursing up. You can't do this. What the fuck? 
Gorilla Monsoon comes in like gangbusters and starts shoving fucking Braverman and Crow and and just Crow yeah. There's like out. a ringside melee. And you Gorilla see, Mon- oh, yeah, Gorilla Monsoon by the way is oh, like a three hundred and fifty oh, pound oh, man. Oh, yeah, like this is like, not, these on. aren't also not small. Like these are oh, fucking giant oh, drunk giant. wrestlers. Weaponer looks like a combination of shell shocked and like fucking confused and also maybe a little bit mad because he just oh, got he thrown be- outside the ring. Like, because he's Perhaps. like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> he does try to get back in there and confront Andre again. And Andre's like, yeah, I'm done with this. I'm going to go get drunk or something. But like, you know, um, it, it was a fiasco. It was an absolute fiasco that fit perfectly with what they were going to watch in the big screen. But I will and, say the stadium definitely got their money's worth. That was hilarious. And- the, and and very smartly was not the main event of that show because they ended with the Bruno San Martino match. So I I always thought that was a very smart move that they went with the the classic wrestling match to end the show to help you forget that you've just watched Andre the Giant Chuck Webner plot around for eight minutes and do whatever <laughs> do whatever the fuck they just and did. then Ali and Anoki for another fucking right. forty five. Yeah, and then of course yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would love right. to know how Shea Stadium reacted watching Ali and Noki. Because New York fans in general oh. are already kind of irritable and like you know short tempered to begin with, and to be to watch that waltz, like I'm you know Ali was popular, but I'm sure not that many people are familiar with Nokia. Imagine bringing your girlfriend to that. Uh, oh God, yeah. Jesus, baby, right, that was gonna be amazing. Watch man, the first like, oh my God, we're Just... watching the birth of MMA. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of, they kind of were, but it's like you gotta, yeah. I mean, it kind of was. Thirty but, years I mean, from now, they'll call this mixed martial arts. Martial arts, that's right. <laughs> it's absolutely fascinating, man. Just what a what a wild time. How he's late career and the things that he was getting into and all that, but yeah, I, that was. But that's here's the thing. Once that happened, and even though that was an absolute clusterfuck fiasco, that made Danoki. So yeah. especially on and on the U.S., that did like things totally. You know everything kind of once once that level went up, he was up to here now, and then and then his ego went up even higher because even higher. He, totally. he said, "I need to start doing these pre-fixed. I need to make sure the fights are pre pre-fixed next time, and I'm going to fight every any legitimate guy I can pay to get in the ring with me." And lo and behold, guess who's the first boxer to take him up a year later after Ali, but Chuck Webner getting another payday. So I didn't uh, even realize that Webner went to Japan. The Webner went to Japan in uh, uh, October twenty fifth, nineteen seventy seven. They do um, another boxer versus wrestler match. So it's kind of sucks is that the parent company of New Japan, by the way, are just absolute assholes about copyright strikes. So it is a in the ass to try and find these fights on YouTube. I couldn't actually. I I think you have to. You can get like a New Japan World uh, subscription, but that you know, good luck. Uh, I, I mean, I oh, I think the site's in English now, but, but I remember like I got like a trial and it was all in Japanese. I had to like you know use a translator to figure it out, so that you might be able to find it on there. But dude, they are they are such jerks about copyright strikes. So unfortunately, it's tough to find on, a lot of good footage on the, from New Japan. It's yeah. So I I wasn't able to track down any footage, but there are photos of uh, Anoki putting. Chuck Wepner in a Boston crab, which is <laughs> um, so he's got the legs and he's pulling back was on him. Uh, of course he was. Yeah. Okay. So so the official result is Anoki defeats Chuck Wepner in round six. So I I just I I believe that they like if this was like other Anoki uh, boxer fights, he uh, he wears gloves in the first few rounds and then just decides fuck it, I, takes them off. 
I was reading <laughs> about this. I was reading about this earlier, and that yeah, like uh, they both wore gloves, and supposedly it was like a he like got like TKO'd in the sixth. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. So uh, unfortunately, like I said, I, I I love to see footage of this, but um, yeah, this was a completely news to me type of fight when I was doing research for this show. That Chuck 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 went back to the uh, the pay window to get a uh, another another payday. So good for Chuck. <laughs> Respect it. <laughs> and then another one. So a year later, um, this one shocked me. Like I had no idea this one also took place, but uh, Anoki. I guess has a Rolodex of former Ali opponents. Oh no! <laughs> so he's just flipping through, going, "Who else can I do these annual?" He they, he called he promoted them as different style fights. That was the official, um, you know, uh, I guess the the phrase that he used. But um, I, I guess technically, Mil did Mildenberger never actually fought Ali? Did he? Um, just I'm trying to think. Did he actually fight Ali? Yeah, Carl Mildenberger oh, fought Ali. Yeah. Oh, Damn, he did. Yeah. I think so, Ali's yeah, first, but now you got me. And um, Ali's first title uh, title reign before he was exiled. Yes, okay, thank you. Yeah, I was like, I, had to, in I didn't want to make sure I was wrong. Okay, cool. So he fights Carl Mildenberger, who's like a German boxer. Uh, so same idea, like a year later, he's like, we're doing this annual bo uh, boxer wrestler thing. And um, this fight is sort of similar. Um, Mildenberger kind of, they both have gloves on. Mildenberger's kind of beating him up, but they kind of stole from the original Anoki uh, Ali ending where Mildenberger starts getting mad at the referee for breaking them up and starts talking shit to the ref. And then Anoki just takes him down and puts him in a fucking arm bar <laughs> and taps him out. <laughs> it's hilarious. You know, and he's the confetti and, the, and he's got the big bouquet of flowers. And you're just like, yeah, man, this is so funny. Just him just getting these guys to lay down for him. So. Well, yeah. and, and this is also, you know, again, I'll, the Ali fight was 1966, and it wasn't that much longer than that that Mildenberger fought Oscar Bonavena. And, like, even at this point, like, you know, years and years earlier was, like, you know, just no disrespect to Mildenberger, but he just was considered, like, you know, a non-factor in this entire equation, basically. And so, yeah, for whatever reason, Anoki yeah. was just go, going through and going, who can we get? Of all people, that's such an odd pick. It is. It is. It really is. Like I, 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 I was like, I got a little mixed up there for a minute because I'm like, wait a minute, Mildenberger wasn't one of his later opponents, so I was like, shit, he did fight him, right? Like I, I just couldn't remember, but yeah, he had me doing like a Mandela effect. And even, and even there for too, a moment. Like, yeah, right. Even then too, he's not like an a popular Ali opponent. Like you know, no. I'd be like, oh yeah, there was that Carl Mildenberger and, fight. No one really talks about it. And he wasn't fighting in the seventies. Like, 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 what a weird, like, exactly. Line. Yeah, it's like, just like this, years later. <laughs> you know, like Anoki must have just like I don't know. He must have like knew somebody. Was like, yeah, can you get me like a boxer? Like, and they're like, oh, this guy's got like legitimate credentials. So, but yeah, Anoki was all about fighting guys with like, like you know, a lot of kickboxers too. A lot of guys like um, you know, that were part of that kickboxing scene. That uh, you know, you'd find them in local gyms in the United States. The United States, excuse me, and then just bring them over. Uh, so there's plenty of those too, where it's just like, where where is he finding these guys? But they all had, you know, karate, you know, credentials, kickboxing, boxing, <laughs> whatever. And yeah, Noki would always be the one with the the hand raised. Um, Athena so, would have been a perfect opponent for Noki had he lived. <laughs> yes. Right, Pat. Who did you say? I'm sorry. Bonavina, had he lived? Bonavina, oh yeah. man. I said he would have yeah, been. Honestly, yeah, that's, that was that's, gonna say. 
That's right up his alley. <laughs> That's probably a direction that he would have been better going down rather than the one he did, obviously. Yeah. I mean, you know, trying to do some wrestling or something like that rather than I trying to... Him going there and just talking a bunch of shit, just making fun of the audience. No one oh, knows. he would have been a great heel. <laughs> yeah, he would have been a great heel, dude. He was such going, a gangly yeah. idiot. But, you know, or, well, not gangly, just, you know, blockheaded, I guess, but... But the, would you, yeah, he could have been like Primo Canera and just made a career out of it. Towards and chances are, he probably would have tried to double cross him. You know, if you like a right hand, and then he would have got. You were like, oh yeah, I could take this bomb, and then like try to swing at him, and then you just get locked up in octopus hold. <laughs> I think so, he, he could have been good in that shit, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I believe the last Inoki versus Boxer fight that takes place is uh, in, fast forward to 1986. Um, Anoki shares the ring with another former Ali uh, opponent. The Rolodex keeps flipping. Yep. And here, lo, here he is, Leon Spinks, who, to be fair, is not completely past it. He has just fought, I believe, Kawi for the uh, very unsuccessful uh, a challenge for the cruiserweight title. But he's yeah, still... I mean, thank God the internet was not around back then because that's really embarrassing. It, yeah, I was going to say, so this, there is footage, uh, not the full fight, but I was able to find cut footage of this fight, and guys, this is, I, I highly recommend, put this in the YouTube machine, Ali and Leon Spinks, it is a, or sorry, Anoki uh, uh, and Leon Spinks, it is a very strange, like, two-minute clip, um, it looks, the fight's completely awful to watch, but I will say, it looks kind of cool because it's so sloppy, and could because MMA fights look sloppy sometimes and this fight looks like two dudes just kind of grappling on the ground trying to figure it out you know so um this looks cleaner than any of other uh anoki's work shoots in my opinion um leon's ap seems copy, like the... right what's that it's from the ap copy right I yes know yep yeah, yep yeah. and leon and leon I, I think you'd agree eris and pat pretty easy going guy from his reputation um and Eric. i could imagine was like Sure, whatever you want. If the check clears, like we can just do whatever you fucking want to do in the ring. And I think you kind of see a guy that's playing along and uh, makes Anoki. I mean, I, I mean, I, I would say he makes Anoki look good, but it's like they it doesn't look like things go south and like at all. Like it looks yeah, like Anoki gets him on the ground. He's not making it fucking homework for him, basically. No, you know? no, 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 no. no. Like, yeah. he lets he gets he gets himself on the ground after they fuck around on the feet for a while, and Anoki taps him out. The end. Basically, like a lot of those guys, a lot of whether they come from boxing, MMA, whatever it may be, they come with egos. You know, like we've mentioned with guys we mentioned earlier on the show and others I'm sure we'll bring up in a bit, but they come with a certain amount of egos and also a little bit of like a loop that's like, oh, pro wrestling is fake. I can take these little chumps out no matter what. Leon, like we, like you just said, Gray, he was such an easygoing guy that he was probably the easiest person to work with. And that's why he was probably almost maybe at, in terms of like, watched the boxers being sent to Japan was probably the most successful and didn't really get embarrassed and embarrassed because he was such an easygoing guy. He just went along with anything. He wasn't going to bother anybody. You know, you want to do this and that to me? Yeah, fuck it. I don't care. Oh, we're going to have a death match, cage match? Oh, sure, whatever. Like, you didn't, yeah. you know. So, so yeah. Not, it just yeah, worked exactly. out perfectly for him. And, like, you know, Leon worked for that. And so, yeah, that match, it is kind of, like you said, it is awkward to watch. It is, you know, sloppy. There's nothing really – but – like you said, and in terms of what they're trying to accomplish, it makes sense because it's not supposed to be like choreographed to look like it's working. It looks like it's supposed to be two guys that are trying to like actually fight, and it's a clash of styles, so it's supposed to yep. be awkward. And it 
serves its purpose in that regard. You know what it I mean? It looks he real. Yeah. I mean, real as he, real as he could be. Um, but yeah, as you said, uh, Spinks kind of parlayed that into a career uh, later on going back to Japan for a company called Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling, uh, which was head by this guy named uh, Onita. Uh, Anushi Anita is just this wild man, like a guy that would come down to the ring smoking a cigarette, just a cool motherfucker. And uh, so he, yeah, started his own company. Or I, I'm sure he had financial, well, he had financial backers, but the company got pretty big for a while. It would go on tours and draw houses, and Leon Spinks sort of became part of this traveling troupe. So you know, out there, there are you know clips of Leon Spinks wrestling Onita in a cage. There's clips of Leon, you know, Leon Spinks wrestling Terry Funk. Like, uh, and you know, Leon's got the glo- the boxing gloves on, uh, but you know, he's playing along and doing his. And doing he was a heel too. It was great. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, Leon's really. I mean, at this point, is uh, I think you know, not. He's in his element. Yeah. yeah, he's in his element. He's probably, I think he's almost at the end of his boxing career. I don't know if he's flopped over and around for uh, uh, John Carlo in uh, Vermont yet or whatever that DC oh, or whatever that fight took place. <laughs> but it's we're getting close to that point for sure. Um, but yeah, Leon's having a ball and and making lots of money. Uh, you know, taking the pin for guys in Japan. It's 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 pretty. There was a clip of him beating up some jobber at FMW. I don't know if it's <laughs> on YouTube or not, but like he. Clearly, and like his punches are so bad because he's so washed, and the people yeah. bounce around like basketballs, then they blade themselves too, which is hilarious. Oh, they have they're gushing blood all yeah, over. Yeah, there's the there's face. photos of Terry Funk just fucking yeah. covered in blood, and Leon's like, ah, you know, in some weird yeah. pose or some shit. <laughs> Terry's Terry's doing the the, the drunk man yeah. uh, dazed punches stick that he always does, while Leon's throwing these just fake looking haymakers but there's, it's, a, it's, there's a clip of spinks beating up this jobber dude right and then after the match is over leon to see how much he plays into it the guy is still laying there half days and leon pretends to help him up and as he helps him up the guy looks out the way leon catches up with a sucker <laughs> hook and the guy floats flying across the ring and then the crowd starts booing and leon goes that's awesome it goes it goes wobbling without like shaking and everything i'm like what the fuck? i'm like you can just tell he loves the shit <laughs> the legend the legend was that leon was supposed to uh wrestle taz and ecw and the and the, i know here we go in the late 90s back when uh um taz was this generously i'm gonna call him five foot eight uh but but also was being presented as this complete badass and uh pat, pat if you i think you watched a little early ufc but do you remember paul verilins at all oh yeah um, so paul oh, verilins yeah. paul verilins wrestles taz and gets uh you know it's obviously you know, uh, you know a worked fight but taz you know chokes out paul verilins in the uh the 2300 well now the 2300 arena so they you know they were really obsessed with putting taz in with like these you know legitimate you know shooter guys so the, they were trying to get Leon Spinks to wrestle Taz, but uh, Leon apparently was super drunk backstage and just th- like throwing up on himself. And they were like, "All right, fuck this, I'm not." <laughs> that sounds legitimate, honestly. <laughs> yeah, so that's the legends well, told that we missed out on Leon Spinks in ECW. <laughs> well, listen to this, guys. I was watching, uh, I don't know, UFC '96 the other day because why not? And um, I think it was the first one that like Tank Abbott had showed up in. So, oh yeah. Yeah, and. So they're, they're, they're panning the audience, and they showed Leon there. Leon was front row. And they're like, we hear Leon Spinks is thinking about Juwan to join this one. It might be joining the next UFC. What do you think about that, Jim Brown? Oh. Because Jim Brown, the football player, was a commentator back then. This yeah, is the that would have been pretty UFC. early. Yeah. 
And you hear Jim Brown, who probably knew of Leon's exploits, obviously, from way in the day. He just here, he laughs and says, you know, tongue in cheek. He's like, oh, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that worked out. Hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> didn't, didn't they have Art Jimerson uh, fucking yes, like, racing? Yes, he was the very first one. And it was well, imagine just, what would happen to poor Leon. Cause Leon and, he, and, and Art Jimerson tapped out to a guard. Like, he didn't even, yeah. he wasn't even choked or anything. Gracie just mounted him, and he was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I got one boxing glove on. Like, you think yeah. that uh, that Art Jimerson could was going to do that well? Like, fucking Shawashi. 1995-96, Leon Spinks in the UFC. Just, just think about that for a that's, moment. That's when he's, yeah, and guys, if you want to see, I mean, it's it's sad. I don't want to wreck him. But, like, the fight with John Carlo where he, like, just topples over immediately is on YouTube, I think. And it's like, so that's what you, that's the quality of Leon Spinks you would have gotten at that point. Jesus. Well, dude, it's it's actually pretty uh it's pretty it's pretty wild too because I mean it also a lot of it stems back. I mean, it's not to say that Nanoki started this tradition because wrestling has a has a long-standing tradition of crossing over with boxing going back into the 1800s. But I mean, even so, um, you know, the the American public had some varying degree of you know, their view of pro wrestling and what they thought it was versus boxing for many decades. And so, you know, it, generally speaking, you were going to be thinking of the heavyweight champion as like the toughest guy or whatever, and you weren't really going to be giving much regard to like the heavyweight pro wrestling champion or something like that as somebody who could legitimately defeat this person or something like that, you know. But here, starting with uh, Inoki and, you know, fighting Muhammad Ali and Chuck Wepner and Mildemerger and whatnot and making a name off of doing this kind of stuff. A couple of years later, Joe Frazier's in as a referee against Carlos Colon, I guess in Puerto Rico, apparently, and then winds up participating. You know, Muhammad Ali, referee at WrestleMania 1, punches Roddy Piper. Uh, you know, Scott Ledoux at WrestleRock86. Scott Ledoux is heavily involved with AWA. Like, I mean, he's, he, it's past Russell Rock too. You would be shocked at how much Scott Ledoux is over the AWA product. Like in the eighties, you'd be and, shocked. And going forward, it's like a shitload of of uh, you know, basically just popular fighters make their there's way clips, over into pro wrestling. There's and, clips of Ernie Shavers in the NWA, and they haven't like you know in the in in the Mid Atlantic areas. But I've never seen them. But they're out there. Holy shit! There is, there is, there is, at one point, I was watching something, uh, a Clash of the Champions from like 1991 or whatever, and they show a clip of Ernie Shavers confronting Ric Flair. And he was like, <laughs> a special guest referee, and Flair is sitting there, and then you see Shavers show up, and he's like, "Mr. Flair," you know, in his voice, "I'm going to be very certain." Blah 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 blah. It starts pointing at him, and Sh and Flair looks at him, puts his hands, and is like, "Whatever you want, it's all good," you know. <laughs> well. <laughs> um, yeah, the the wrestler is the or boxer is the referee trope. Um, yeah. said that. I mean, you got Buster Douglas uh, uh, after Tyson after beating Tyson is a referee, I believe, on Saturday Night's Main Event. Um, and he punches uh, Randy Savage in the face, and of course, most famously, Mike Tyson uh, punching uh, Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, and then drinking a beer with Stone Cold. So, absolutely, it's just uh, you, can, you can throughout history, man. It's and it's crazy, too, how those two things go on, because if you want to, like, add to that, so, like, the first one, when Buster Douglas becomes the the, the referee for the Saturday Night event, that slot was originally for Mike Tyson. Yep. You know, when Tyson got knocked out by Buster, that 
knocked them essentially out of that. Like they were trying to build. Well, I'm not. Well, obviously it was never going to happen, but there was always like that comparison because Hulk Hogan and uh, Mike Tyson and you know everything like that. And they're like, oh, you know, maybe we can build to a WrestleMania. Like oh, that was a pipe dream of everybody. Of course, two so, pop culture icons at their yeah, peak. Yeah, yeah, wrestling yeah. is and it's wrestling is red fucking hot at this point. And if you listen uh, to Hulk Hogan, yeah, Mike and Tyson was huge in lives, Japan. Huge. If you listen to Hulk Hogan and his ridiculous lies, he claims that they almost had a shoot fight and that was going to happen. <laughs> but that's that's a whole Brother. other. Tyson, uh, Tyson. Forward, <laughs> um, and by the way, you should check that out because even though the punch looks ridiculous, the commentary beforehand with Vince oh, yeah. and Jesse Ventura building up is absolutely perfect. Like Ventura being the heel and he was like, you know, Buster Douglas better be careful or the Macho Man will paintbrush him. <laughs> you hear you hear like Vince who clearly has no idea anything about boxing he was like yeah. Douglas hasn't done anything look at Randy Savage peekaboo I think he wants to go for a Jesse he's doing peekaboo and he's like no he's not he's doing rope adult yeah. like, you know, lady. So, like, literally what? like probably young Eris and young Gray and young Pat would have been the only people believing you know uh, yeah. you know uh, Randy Savage could do anything to Buster Douglas but it was still and really then, funny to watch What's really interesting too is that fast forward years later, like great, like you just said, Gray, when Mike Tyson becomes the special guest referee for the WrestleMania match between Stone Cold and Shawn Michaels. This is during the Attitude Era. Mike Tyson obviously had the, this is Crash TV, Jerry Springer, everything. Mike Tyson just got rid of, you know, bit um, Evander Holyfield. So they perfect for this whole thing. Some people may not realize this. The reason why Mike Tyson originally left Don King after this was because of Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon was trying to sign Mike Tyson exclusively for himself. As he was still trying to get involved whatever he could. He wouldn't get involved with boxing if he knew he could get Mike because Mike was still the hottest commodity. Vince's parent company had promoted Sugar Ray Leonard versus Hector Camacho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the story goes, and there was in a book I read about Chris Benoit of all people, but they mentioned that... Vince did something where they went through it like he he got a hold of Mike's books, like his financial books and all that. And he went through them and he realized and he saw, you know, he saw how much money Don King was stealing from Mike. And I don't think Mike knew that, but Vince found out. He realized that and then he can't and then he and then he showed it to Vince. He showed it to Mike. He was like, Oh, by the way, this is what Don's doing to you, bro. I just wanted to, you know, let you keep you keep you abreast of everything. And Mike is kind of like, What? Are you fucking kidding me? And Vince is like, Yeah. like in the Newfield book or whatever, or the it was in it. So there's a book that came out. Um, I remember reading that. Yes, there was a book that came out about in back in like oh 2007 about Chris Benoit and just pro wrestling in general. Uh, it's never been renewed because the writer said it's so dark that I don't even think he wants to put it out again. But if you can find it online, I highly recommend it. Um, but he he brings up this whole story about the whole Mike Tyson thing. He talks about that, and when he brings up the what. What they, he said that he was like Vince showed him a book, and that's when allegedly Mike went to go find Don King and kicked his ass. You know, can you um, imagine what a Mike Tyson promoted Vince McMahon promoted like career would have looked like? Oh, Jesus! Well, that's what Vince was going for. That's what he was yeah. totally going for for that. Yeah, that's why. He, that's why he exploited it. Yeah. I don't want to imagine what kind of like racist tropes and costumes he oh. would have been doing, dude. But. Like Don King was able to out Carney and out outwit most of the other boxing promoters because. They wouldn't be able to keep up with him. A guy like Vince McMahon, who comes from pro wrestling, was able to keep up with Don King. So that's why he was able to, like, you know, exploit yeah. him. 
So to, to shift a little bit, um, if that's okay with you guys, is like during that time period where wrestling is very entertaining. This is again, 90s. We're getting to the Attitude Era and ref per WWE. So it's starting to become more like, you know, it's not real. Like we're going to do cartoonish skits and crazy shit like that. In Japan, meanwhile, especially in the early 90s, you're still getting it, you're getting this weird shift where wrestlers there are a lot of wrestlers that are like we kind of want to like we're learning how to do all this cool shit on the mat and like it would be nice to like do it for real so you get like these weird splinter organizations that get founded that are essentially like the early fathers of MMA uh, so you get companies um like you, uh, PWFG and UWFI um I'm not going to tell you what they stand for on the top of my head because I'm not that much of a you know Japanese wrestling expert. I'm not going to pretend to be, but I know that those organizations, a lot of the guys that like splintered off and started those companies and would start doing work shoot MMA fights, those guys would end up going into Pride where MMA, you know, was the, one of the first real MMA organizations. Now, granted, some of those fights are likely fixed in the early Pride events, but it turned into quite a real, you know, a real sport. So, uh, of course, when you get guys that are trying to present themselves as legitimate athletes, um, so uh, you get uh, some interesting uh, opponents that get flown over from the United States. And in uh, one example that I wanted to bring up to you guys, uh, so I'll go in chronological order by year, but 1991, a guy named uh, Nobu, uh, Nobuhiko Takada, who was one of the, uh, the founders, really the founding fathers of Pride, and at this point, very similar to Anoki, a guy that really presented himself as a legitimate fighter, a legitimate tough guy, um, probably was still at this point. But by the time he got the pride, he was so banged up from wrestling and taking bumps and all that. He was very washed up and frankly, never looked good in any of his pride matches. And I think he had a fixed fight with Mark Coleman where he beat Mark Coleman to like kind of make people believe in him again briefly but very strange career um but at this point he's in 1991 he's he's one of the centerpieces of this company you know really want to present him as a legitimate fighter so he does a work shoot with uh former uh world heavyweight champion trevor burbick um so and this is kind of like you said uh, uh we're, we're gonna go back to the weaponer uh under the giant situation here where these two guys clearly had an agreement backstage and the, this fight really, really falls apart. And in fact, you can watch this fight. It is whole, hilarious. Absolutely, it's, it's, it's hysterical to watch. So basically, uh, they're in the ring, you know, up on the feet. Takada just starts throwing low kicks at Burbick, and Burbick's just like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like, he looks just, so insulted, dude. What's happening right now? He like he thinks these kicks are supposed to be above the weight. Like, I'm not sure what he thinks is supposed to be happening but every time you know takata throws a kick he is increasingly pissed off increasingly offended That's, trying you know trying yeah. to get closer you to throw some punches he's got of course got the boxing gloves on but takata's like fuck you you're not getting in my range and he's kicking him in the legs uh you know to the point where burbick gets so incensed that he jumps over the top rope of the ring and just goes to the outside and runs into the crowd like nope we're not doing this shit anymore and you know <laughs> takata gets his hand raised this was during the eric the era of burbick when he like went completely off the deep end like he oh, had man. larry holmes drop kicking him off a car he had other yep. people trying to do things he was getting in trouble and we did an entire car. episode about yes. that shit so i'll try to put that yeah. link somewhere during this at but the I mean, yeah, the, well, at the turn of the 90s trevor burbick they said you know that clearly he was like something in his head like went off 
And if you know Beverly, like you just said, Gray, the way he was acting and like responding, if you know how over the top he usually was in boxing, if you saw like his responses there, like, you know, sometimes the way he'd be yelling and just all the time and flailing and doing things, think of that except 10 times more in this match because he is so flabbergasted that fucking Takata has the terminity to like kick him anywhere. And I guess beforehand there was, you know, the, he thought there was no, there was going to be no kicks. It was just going to be a fight. He's just freaking yeah. out. Like he, he didn't even throw a punch. I think he comes out there. The first kick he hits him, he stops. So he's like, I wanted to be oh. a fly on the wall for what they were saying backstage was supposed to happen here. Oh my God. I can imagine. Cause Burbick was such a psychopath. So like, yeah. who knows what he was flailing about. Again, the guys, I'm sure the guys that are told to book these boxers, it's like they see them on TV and they go, get me, get me one of these guys and to fly them over and they'll do, you know, whoever will do the agreement, you know, and they have no idea like what their reputations are. They're just like, here's a, you know, a nice package of money and you're going to fucking lose. And, and Verbic was probably like, okay, that's fine. And then, but didn't understand like how this was supposed to happen. And clearly there's. Yeah, complete miscommunication. Well, um, I'll give you, uh, you, we'll, you know, I'm sure you'll put a link, Pat, to the description of the show, but it's, yeah. I highly recommend it. It's only five minutes long. It's great. <laughs> it's it's rough, dude. It's, it's, yeah. uh, yeah. Burbick, yeah. Burbick was definitely going off the deep end during this point, but yeah, it's, it's clearly a demonstration that, um, you know, obviously that a lot of fighters could not hang in wrestling and mixed martial arts and stuff like that, especially with like with gloves on the way that they were trying to do it and stuff like that. And the way that the, the narrative they were trying to push for decades and decades of boxing being the superior art form or whatever, that clearly yeah. that it was, it was tough. That was kind of coming off the rails and shit, but also like you said, they were bringing these fighters over to Japan to kind of try to legitimize yeah these other these shooters uh, and these kind of hard style wrestlers that were you know yeah. that were trying any, to break in mma exactly they like kickboxers karate guys again just anybody that they can find that was like oh you do combat sports like you want to come over and like lose to one of our dudes like that'd be awesome so um another one that takes place in uwfi this is even this is sadder this section is not really that funny it's just like what happened here um kiyoshi tamura another again another another legitimate fighter dude um they bring over matthew saad muhammad now, oh, was this my first question to you? Because you guys probably know the timeline a little better than me. Is this a before or after like Muhammad's family puts the letter in ring, like, please don't let this man fight anymore? It had to have been around that time period, right? Gosh. So, this fight happens when you said around 92? 92, yeah. Yeah. Sam Muhammad had no business being in the ring anywhere near a boxing ring by 1992. Like, he probably should have retired after getting knocked out in a rematch by Kawi. Like, that fight happened, what, like, 1983 or so, yeah, uh, 82, 83. So it's been about a decade. He was going through financial issues. He was featured in the ring a few times, talking about what was going on and like how he was back in Atlantic City, basically broke. He was married. His wife um, was begging him to retire. Everybody was just trying to beg him to retire, and he was getting his ass kicked by the likes of like Frankie Swindell and Andrew Maynard. And, That's the one that really yep. stands out to me. Yeah, and that's, yeah. So well, I feel like dude that got his ass kicked by everybody was beating up Sam Muhammad. So, yeah. like, it, it, it was a sad sight. But like you said, Gray, this one is, like, really, really depressing because it's clearly think... another – it's like another Trevor Burbick where he gets brought over there. They probably – They probably know. didn't know, like, yeah. this guy's yeah. completely neurologically fucked. Like, and yeah, so they I'm just sure. gave him just, like, you know, bullet points of what was going to happen without actually breaking it down. What 
really could was going to go down. Oh, yeah, don't worry, blah, 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 blah. You'll just do X, Y, and Z, nothing like that, and not realizing that it was going to be, like, some fucking stupid shit. Either that yeah. or Sadma, I could see this, too, because I think with the pre-fights, they had interviews and all that, and as washed as he was, I could see Sadma Muhammad being naive enough to think he was going to go there and just knock over some, some knock-around kid who didn't know what he was doing. And so but, yeah, yeah, movie, you know. So if you want, it's the fight, uh, the fight clip again. Uh, it's on YouTube, so I'm yeah. sure we'll have a, we'll have a link. Um, it, it, uh, Muhammad gets taken down in about 30 seconds. Uh, rear naked choke, uh, and and you know, good night. Um, but again, I, I it seemed to me like a situation where they were like, we don't know if this guy can do anything, so we're just gonna just like literally end this as fast as possible. And yeah, it's just it doesn't even. Have. It's just an easy name. It's just a name to have. It just made, made no off sense. Chance that he throws some wild punch and knocks you out or something like that. Like let's just fucking. Yeah, yeah let's, let's just, just get this guy on the ground. <laughs> let's forget this even happened. So yeah, it lasts 40, 40 seconds. It's it's something else. Um, the final one I have on this list was a holy shit discovery for me because I I was not aware of this fight. This takes place in a uh, similar federation to UWFI PWFG. We get um. Um, um, uh, Maka Katsu Funaki, a legitimate. This guy is a legitimate MMA dude. Like forty wins in MMA, fought a lot of tank race. Uh, so he's one of the, again one of the founding fathers of MMA for sure. This guy could fight. Uh, he takes on Roberto Duran in a T-shirt. <laughs> Let that sink in for a second here. Roberto Duran shows up in 1992 wearing a T-shirt, and uh, he goes in the ring for ten minutes. <laughs> and Think about it's this. Very... Durant, so it's not like he's like you know in shape or anything. No, no, this is, when, this when is the... like the Tasmanian Devil and Bugs Bunny yeah. wearing gangster attire on a T-shirt era yes. Duran. And you look at the comments of this video. I was like scrolling down, and people were like, "Man, it's really sad to see Duran like this." Like, I'm like, this guy hasn't fought Vinny Paz yet. He hasn't <laughs> challenged Joppy on, for the title yet. Like this, he's still he has years to go in his boxing career. Like he wants to, like he wants he to have at least nine, ten years, man. He hadn't gone yeah. through Jorge Baca, Camacho. Like no, I think that's a fair. that's he a couple like years he before know. he went over and was like sparring with Nigel Ben and like yeah. embarrassing Nigel Ben. I'm like, and on uh, that clip, I will say, like, it is one of the more odd things you'll see he doesn't get embarrassed as badly as Saad Muhammad no. and, um, and uh, Trevor Burbick do he does look like a dad fresh off the couch let's be honest like this had said he's got the Taz he's got the Looney Tunes t-shirt on he is not in good shape like he's got the gut and he's in track pants so I'm sure like if you're not familiar with Duran's career at that point you're probably like this is something to see like Duran's definitely like probably 180 190 this night yeah. like he is not in good shape um and it's and according to a lot of i've heard conflicting reports honestly if this fight was actually real or not um according to mma fighter josh barnett he's like uh no uh this was real and like funaki uh basically was kind of carried duran out of respect uh and you could kind of see that a little bit um but like um in this fight but duran does legitimately hit him with a body shot in round two of this fight and it looks like it fucking stings like he does <laughs> and so i was like oh that, that connect like it wasn't like a leon spinks like bullshit punch like no duran duran hit him with a body shot and dropped him um so they kind of fuck around for a bit and then kind of the same situation with a lot of these fights guy gets duran you know Furaki gets duran on the ground and then 
I guess taps him out, but Duran never taps. Like, it's a really strange ending, but it's definitely a situation where you're like, I don't know. It, it, it feels like they're almost sparring. And then Funaki decides, like, I, I, I don't want to take any more risks. Like, I have to I have to beat this guy. Like, yeah. you know, so it's a strange, it's one of, again, one of those strange uh, shades of gray. Uh, <laughs> no pun on my name, but a very strange fight uh, for sure. But uh, also, um, you get that full link and watch it for yourself. And it's, it's, it's a weird sight to see, but... Uh, yeah, Duran has plenty more years in boxing after this. So. Uh, another one I wanted to bring up with you guys. Um, so we talked about uh, we talked about Anoki and how he had a thing where he liked to challenge, you know, different people from you know different uh, combat sports backgrounds, whatever it may be. He also had a thing where a weird fascination outside of wrestling, where he liked to um, hobnob around with um, you know dictators. So to speak, right? Like, you know, very, very, very interesting people. Like, he had a, there, there's that famous, infamous, I guess, you know, promotion that he had in North Korea, where they forced a bunch of, you know, during the whole, um, well, well, during the famine of North Korea, when just, you know, hundreds and thousands, probably millions of poor people over there were being, like, starved and forced by whatever. And so they're being forced into an arena. To watch a, to watch an event that they've never seen anything about in their life. Collision of Korea, baby. Yeah, watch a bunch of you know foreign U.S. wrestlers who they've been like programmed to hate because they hate the U.S. in general. Wrestle Japanese guys, and they have no idea what the fuck they're watching because they've been like blocked, blocked from that. So that's one thing. But um, Anoki also had a planned match one time where I don't know if it was supposed to be real or if it was supposed to be a shoot or a work or whatever it was supposed to be, but. Antonio Inoki at one point was supposed to have a match with Ugandan dictator Idi Amin. And the reason why I'm bringing this up because guess who was going to promote this match? Or fiasco, whatever you want to call this. Still alive today, by the way, in his <laughs> 90s. Who is it? <laughs> you know, we're going to put on this fight one way or another. Guys. Yes. <laughs> Bob Arum and Tom Arum was going to promote Antonio Inoki versus Idi Amin. The Apostle of Apartheid. The psychopath dictator who was known to be a cannibal and God knows how many people he killed in his cut. Like, just evil, evil, evil person. And Aaron was like, yeah, cha-ching, let's do this. <laughs> wow. You know, Aaron, I feel like I'd love to hear, like, again, I, 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 the book needs to be written soon, obviously. But I need to know about all the all the all the people he met and and you know pitched I had ideas pitched to him like like this just ridiculous shit man. <laughs> but he said yes to, like I don't even think Don King would say yes to this. First, Aaron was the first one to go to South Africa to like during during the heart of apartheid in the late seventies. Yeah. It was like yeah, let me try to make a bunch of money in in Sun City with Soul Kirster. And that was before King got involved afterwards, too. But, like, still, that's a whole other thing that me and Pat have talked about on, some, on different shows. And then all these other, th you know, the whole evil Knievel fiasco that he promoted, I guess the Snake River thing, and a bunch of other shit. But it's like the fact that he was going to promote this and probably willingly was going to do it is mind-blowing. Like, absolutely mind Like, what, where, where would you promote? Like, it never came off, by the way. But – where would you be able to like say yes? This is gonna be something like how are you gonna? Is it gonna be Luxembourg? 
Yeah, lots of... <laughs> yeah, Anoki Anoki would probably be like, gotta be a double count out. I'm not jobbing to this fucking guy. I'm not losing. Like, you know what and I mean? For some like, reason, like, I mean, obviously, when his marbles could, uh, clearly weren't all there, do you think he was gonna go along with nothing? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's of a that's match what I'm saying. Is there even motherfucker with, with, like, rifles outside the, oh, you know, yeah. like, fuck that. It'd be like an Ali Rainey fight where, like, the guy gets, you know, gets brought into the ring. You ever seen, I, 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 this is, like, one of my, like, I need to show you guys this clip, but it's one of Ali Rainey's last fights before he may or may not have died. Um, but he's being led to the ring by two dudes, like, touting, like, just with fucking straight up, like, AKs, like, like, carrying him, like, escorting him into the ring. I'm like, that's what it probably would have been like. And I remember, you know, imagine, imagine you're an editor putting in, being told to put results in and for Ali Ramey fights. And they're like, here's the video, like, to prove it. And you're just, the first thing you see is Ali Ramey being marched to the ring by two dudes with fucking guns. It's like, uh, okay, I guess I'll put this into box rack. <laughs> Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the perks of being a box rack editor, for sure. I wish I had saved that. That's one of my great regrets is I, I didn't back that up. Um, uh, yeah, because I've seen probably more Ali Ramey footage than probably anybody uh, alive. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, yeah, I, my great regret is I didn't back up my back up. Unfortunately, would, you know, delete the videos like as soon as they go up on box rack, like, boom, see you later. So, but yeah, they'd have cool, crazy entrances like that. So that's probably what that probably what that fight would have been like, uh, Iris. Just a lot of guys with guns. Yes, everywhere. And then Bob Aram just sitting in the front row. Like I was telling you guys earlier, I would love if this actually happened. And I'm assuming some some sort of interaction like this might have happened. I don't know if Idi Amin was actually in the room for this, but like there had to have been some kind of meeting between Aram, I mean, and Antonio Inoki where they were discussing all of this. And I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall just to hear the back and forth going on between these guys trying to come up with a plan of what they were going to do for this. Like, I would... My God. <laughs> just hearing, just hearing it. Well, listen, Edie, if we don't... I, I can't do his, I can't do an impression. Yeah, the ego. The, the egos and the insanity. Like, I... I, I I can't even imagine. It's, it's insane, but like, yeah, the whole. I mean, the the one the one other thing I wanted to bring up before I guess we end pretty soon, but like, the whole boxing and wrestling thing too. We we've talked about a lot of boxers who get brought over and exploited stuff like that. We should mention too that like some boxer, some wrestlers, who became boxers, or like they they, they like their their, their whole career <laughs> kind of like go went both ways. So. The first one, the most successful one, and me and uh, Pat, we've talked about him on a show a long time ago, was um, a guy by the name of uh, Bearcat Wright. You know, Bearcat Wright the, from the 50s, super, super popular in the, in the black community, and rightfully so because he was one of the first world champions back then. Um, but his dad was um, the former contender Bearcat Wright who fought Mickey Walker and a host of other guys back then. But very, very big guy, you know what I mean? Former boxer, just a general tough guy in general. But what happened with him, and this is a funny story, is that he got a little bit too big for his britches. Once he became champion, I think, in the L.A. territory, which was uh, Freddie Blassie's area and stuff like that, you know, the crowds went wild for him. Like, people, you know, the community came out for him. The fans came out for him. Everybody loved him and all that. And so he was getting just a little bit too hot-headed. But the thing is, no one, and since he didn't want to lose the belt, no one could really take it off of him because he was such a big fucker and he had hands. And I remember one time he finally, he was planning to lose it to Freddie Blassie and he double-crossed Blassie in the ring. And Blassie, who's only 
pro boxing match was getting obliterated by Tony Galento, um, you know, quickly, <laughs> quickly got knocked out by Bearcat Wright. Like, he had no chance. So, um, the next time Bearcat Wright, the story goes, the next time Bearcat Wright was um, scheduled to defend his belt, um, and he was, and he didn't, you know, that was supposed to be a certain opponent. The opponent he was supposed to uh, wrestle against didn't come out. Instead, out came Judo Gene LaBelle. Oh, <laughs> one shit. Of, oh, one of the legit oh, motherfuckers on the planet. Yeah, run. Talk about that's it. exactly uh, what Bearcat Wright did. They say Bearcat Wright just jumped out of the ring and just like five oh. five and has the he... grip of a fucking just an elephant. Just do we do we mention that he was the referee for Ali and Oki, by the way? No, we didn't. And that's no, a good yeah, point, was, dude. Yeah. Because yeah. between that's like we're like pulling characters all the fucking <laughs> over here, man. And you know, Gene LaBelle's Eileen Eaton's son, you know, it's Gene LaBelle is a sh- fucking, that's a father of MMA right there. I mean, even a lot of people that are in wrestling today owe, and, and MMA owe a lot to Gene LaBelle. So, glad you brought him up. They, 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 but that was the thing. They brought him out, Bearcat Wright, as tough as he was, saw that, and he was like, you know, and, and like in the movie Friday, you want a piece of me? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I'm punk. And he just left. He was like, I ain't fucking with this. But now, Gray, you'll, you'll, um, you'll dig this one. Fast forward a bunch of decades later, a guy by the name of Tony Hallam, um, oh. Warga, right? Who became who was a wrestler in WWE, also a pro boxer. What a deep cut! What a deep cut! Yeah, yeah. that Tony, Tony, Tony Hallam, or yeah, however you say it. Yeah, he um he was a with uh, had a I would say a little more than a cup of coffee with the WWF, but uh yeah. he was the environmentalist wrestler Ludwig Borga who. Uh, because a heel back then was somebody who from another country who pointed out how shitty America was with its fucking ways. Um, yeah, he ends up he ends up uh, boxing. Uh, he had a lot of fights in Denmark, and he had an MMA bout against Randy Couture as well, I believe. Uh, yeah, but he beat Aaron Barkley. He beat <laughs> Tony Alki. Oh man. <laughs> I gotta ask Iran Barkley, what the fuck, man? How did you lose to him? How did you lose to him? He, he like, lost to Tony Hall. Yes. Oh, Iran Barkley yeah. lost to him. Even yeah. washed heavyweight Iran Barkley still found a way to lose to that guy. Yeah, so Tony Tony Hall, there's a uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of mostly bad things about him that are out there on uh, on Wikipedia, so have fun reading about that. But yeah, he, he's probably one of the most successful box uh, wrestlers that went into boxing in recent times for sure. Uh think about Paul Roma was another one that also right, he did. Had a couple boxing matches. Um, yeah, um, Brian Adams. He was in the Brian Adams crushed. Training. He was training to turn pro. And oh, he I never remember did. Never and did. Macho Man Randy was, Savage was going to be his manager or something, right? Young Gray Johnson is on Fight News one day and absolutely pops when he sees fucking Brian Adams with boxing gloves and Randy Savage holding the holding the punching bag. I believe he was supposed to turn pro on a top rank undercard. Um, I believe it was the same one where I don't. So you guys have to remember the main event, but it was where Christy Martin had a comeback and broke her hand and lost. It was on That's that right. show. It was on that show. That was, that, was, uh, that was an HBO show because I worked at the Punch Zone. That's one of the early Punch Zone shows. So Brian Adams was definitely supposed to pop on a, on a top break undercard. It didn't happen, and he died shortly after, unfortunately. But yes, that was legitimately talked about as a. Uh, a thing which would have been pretty wild <laughs> uh so but we have one more guys this is breaking news today i don't know if you saw this Eris. 
Um, but another wrestler that's going into boxing, uh, it's going to be taking place on a Floyd Mayweather uh, undercard. That's going to be uh, good old, good old, uh, I believe, Dubai. Uh, uh, AEW wrestler. Well, I believe he just recently left AEW, but a man with a lot of controversy. Bobby Fish, who is, I believe, very really? old. Way too old to be boxing. Uh, but yeah, he is, uh, is going to be turning pro against a fighter from Ghana who has a 2-3 and three record, according to BoxRec. So, yes, Bobby Fish, the pro wrestler, for the, for those who are familiar. Uh, they literally just announced it a couple hours ago. It was on the good old Floyd Mayweather latest exhibition undercard. Mwah, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, and Tommy Fury's got a fight on that card, too. So, guys, get excited. Get excited. It's going to be a real circus atmosphere. Oh, my God, man. Oh, and the last question. Mark Merrow never beat Riddick, though, right? Fuck no. Mark Merrow never won a Golden Gloves title either. That's bullshit. They, they Get here. used to pump that crap so much on wrestling. Mark Merrow beat Riddick Bowen. No. <laughs> Fuck that. And I don't think he ever won the Golden Gloves either. I looked that up because I was curious if Mark yes. Merrow won the Golden Gloves. If he won the Golden Gloves, he won it in, in – in, I, I couldn't find it. Maybe he won a novice division in 1980, whatever the fuck. But let me tell you, they whatever it is, they were gassing that shit up, dude. <laughs> And when he fought in the brawl for all, he clearly didn't have the skills that they were trying to. No, <laughs> no, it was on. No, no one's ever. Thank you, Aris. We're gonna call that out right now. Mark Marrow, I think your accomplishments were bullshit. I don't believe it. <laughs> Straight up. Boom. I, I know, know, as, as a speaker, but like, you know, yeah, man, I don't that, know. That's what we're gonna wrap up with, I think, right, guys? <laughs> Fuck you, Mark Marrow. <laughs> wow, from Enoki awesome. to Mark Marrow. <laughs> I think we covered the whole spectrum. This was a lot of fun. I mean, that might even be what I named the motherfucking episode from Anoki to Mark. Oh, Mark Merrow doesn't see this. He's yeah, I know. He seems work. like a really good guy. That's like he a seems like super guy. nice guy. I got nothing against him. I'm just he's going to see that. He's going to be like, really, guys? I'm going to be like, oh, man. I'm so yeah, sorry. He's like a motivational speaker now, too. And like, he's like, yeah, he's like, a, seems like a good dude. So sorry, Mark Merrow. He does, man. He's like changing little kids' lives and shit. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Sorry, buddy. I'm still calling you out on your bullshit, but yeah. Yep, I don't believe your boxing career. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, it's the the worlds of wrestling, the worlds uh, and the world of boxing. Uh, you know, that's there's so much overlap, dude. It's a big Venn diagram, and that sometimes it's a massive, just fucking single circle. And so, you know, uh, it's a lot of fun, though. I know that you guys are far more into it than I am. And I'm, I, even now, I'm kind of like getting more into it, especially the history of wrestling and whatnot. Cause like I said, there is so much overlap. Uh, there are so many fighters who have either come from wrestling into boxing and gone from boxing into wrestling, et cetera. So, I mean, a lot of that though, and like I said earlier, it's not as if Antonio Inoki started all of that, but he really revived it. There's absolutely no question about that. And on he top did. of that, he was, uh, if not, if he didn't have his hands into things that were happening in Japan combat sports-wise, he was almost always ringside or being brought up, being recognized, acknowledged, and acknowledged for his influence, too. So, I mean, that's really kind of the impetus for for putting the show together and getting gray here and discussing just some fun stuff. You know, hopefully, hopefully everybody enjoyed it's it. So gray, we appreciate you, man. I hope, yeah, hopefully you had your mind blown at a couple of the na the boxes we threw out there that had wrestling matches. I sure I certainly as I did research and reminded myself, I I my jaw dropped a few yeah, times. Burbick, Mildenberger, Duran, Saad yeah, Muhammad, yeah. dude, those are some pretty good pulls, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thanks for having me, guys. I I really appreciate it, and uh, hope you hope you watching at home enjoyed it as well. So thanks yeah, for having yeah. me. Always a blast having you, Gray. We're sure to have you uh, back again. 
for sure everybody who listened in thank you so much we we really do appreciate you if you listened in on any of those apps please subscribe leave us a comment if you watched on youtube also subscribe comment we'll try to reply to them uh if we uh catch you on social media though that's probably we're going to find us more often than not the knuckles and gloves podcast is on facebook instagram but also on twitter check out our buddy gray johnson on twitter at box rec gray and also Eris Pina, he's over there at Punch Zone Eris. Me, Patrick Connor. I'm there as Patrick M. Connor. Say hello. Talk to Absolutely. you guys later, man. Thanks so much. Have a good one, yeah. Later, buddy. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.